everybody. Welcome back to the Noel Castler Podcast, episode 77. I'm coming to you from Nantucket this morning, Monday morning. There's my intro <laughs> on my travel mando guitar. Apologize for the sloppiness, but I'm happy to be back here with you guys. 77 episodes, and the insanity does not stop, but I always love and appreciate you guys listening. I just got off a morning show I do every month in Toronto called The Humble and Fred Show, and we got to talking about Woodstock 99. They had just watched the new doc on Netflix, and I was there at the time, as some of you guys may know. I've told the story before. It was a big kind of watershed moment for me because I could see how corporations were sort of, you know, going for profit over, over you know, public safety. And uh, it has a lot of parallels with now, that documentary, because you had Michael Lang, who passed away last year, I've known for my whole life pretty much, and you had John Scher, one of the promoters, who were clearly turning a blind eye to all the, you know, tragedy and horror that was apparent in the situation from Friday night, and it only deteriorated. And if you watch the documentary, I was standing next to one of those speaker towers that caught on fire at the end, and tried to make my way out of there amidst the riot and everything. And, you know, it was just, it was like hell on earth at that time. You know, it was, it was a great example of mob mentality. And these kids that were rioting and raging, like, yes, you know, the promoters were ripping everybody off and they'd outsourced all the concessions. And I myself ended up in the medical tent because I got dehydration because I couldn't get any water and I got too hot standing in line at an ATM, you know, to take out 20 bucks to buy a $5 bottle of water. And I ended up in the medical tent and missed the band that I'd gone there to see, which was uh, the Tragically Hip. And um, when I got out, I think like Kid Rock was on stage or something. So you can imagine the, the horror and disappointment <laughs> that I felt in that moment. But, and, and when I was in the medical tent, like I saw like 11 people come in flatlined and they would just take them in an ambulance to an area hospital where they would declare them dead. Like it was very messed up because they didn't want the promoters to have like, hey, people are dying in the headlines. So I said to the doctor who was giving me like an IV thing, I said, dude, this is like ER. And he goes, no, this is like MASH, you know, like it was a war zone and and everybody knew it. But my point is the corporations that had these bands on there, your corns and your lip, limp biscuits and all this crap, they were selling sort of manufactured rage to basically entitled suburban white males, right? These were college kids that were there marauding. These weren't people that had been like kept down by the system their whole lives and this was their moment to rebel against the man. These were kids who grew up in suburban homes with driveways and pools in the backyard and stuff that were sort of being sold anger and rage as a product because it was easy to produce, right? It was cheap, you know, and it was effective. Limp Biscuit fans were idiots. They were jock morons with, you know, baseball hats on backwards that just wanted to, you know, grope some woman and, you know, get in a fight with somebody else. And in many ways, that's Trumpism, right? Those guys that are 20 years old then are 50 now, you know, or however, 99th, 20, you know, they're 40 now. They're voting for Trump. They're voting for Doug Mastriano. They're voting for Elise Stefanik, who's the congresswoman from that district. Not at the time. She was probably a kid. But anyway, 
it just uh, it reminded me of those parallels, you know, of of sort of people turning a blind eye to obvious, obvious like bad things because they can make money. And that's now the party line. That's the GOP. That's why you have Carrie Lake, you know, in Arizona. That's why you had Liz Cheney lose her primary last week to a woman who looks like she stepped out of a misery casting call, right? As I said on Twitter, like if I run off the road in a snowstorm in Wyoming and end up in a rustic bed, I'm pretty much assuming that chick, Harriet Hageman, is coming through the door. She's got crazy eyes if I've ever seen them, you know? And you've seen her clips, so she is crazy, right? And crazy's cheap. Crazy's easy to manipulate. Cravenness, you know, is an attribute in the GOP now. So it was the same thing as these horrible bands and corporations that were selling this crap. Everybody knew it was crap. Everybody who worked at MTV and worked on Woodstock 99 hated the lineup. People were completely bummed they were going to get assaulted by listening to Korn, a band that couldn't even play their own instruments, that would have studio guys come in and do the backing tracks on their albums. Like, I don't think most people know how much of a sort of scam the music business has always been. Kiss couldn't really play on their records. They would bring in outside musicians to, like, play their tracks. Like, there's so much crap that people are like, oh, it's my favorite band, and, like, you know, all the record tracks they're listening to never even had the the artists they think they're uh, into, you know, with some old dude <laughs> sitting there. If I showed you my friend who played, like, the the, the corn stuff, you would laugh. But anyway, uh, I digress. But that's part of, you know, that's Americanism, right? Fast food, McDonald's, something that's horrible for you that we're going to sell you because we can make a lot of money off it. That's MAGA now, you know? That's become such a lifestyle brand and it's been married with sort of these fascist, not even overtones. It's out in the open, right? Ron DeSantis was up in Pennsylvania this weekend campaigning for Doug Mastriano, a guy who's, you know, got a lot of financial backing from Gab, which is an anti-Semitic website that inspired the Tree of Life synagogue shooter in Pittsburgh a few years ago. And he's refusing to denounce him, just like DeSantis is refusing to, not, to you know, denounce the people that are showing up with swastikas and Nazi flags at his rallies in Florida, right? Why would he denounce them? Why would they risk alienating some white supremacist that might, supremacist that might vote for them or a neo-Nazi? And that's insane, right? That's the kind of thing we all need to pause and take a breath and realize, like, wait, politicians are running on an openly fascistic Nazi platform in 2022, and it's not hyperbole, okay? That's what they're saying. That's what they're running on. Carrie Lake is terrifying, you know, because she speaks well. You know, she's an idiot. You, if you saw that clip, you know, the, the live mic where she was calling the New York Times out for nothing, right? Just saying they're evil, right? Because she knows her sort of trashy, ignorant, I got a gun, I hate immigrants voter there in Arizona is going to buy that stuff. And it's so dangerous. It's so incendiary. It has no precedent in the world that ever worked out well, right? Every time this stuff has come up in a leader and a people, especially in Europe, it's a nightmare, right? It doesn't work out well. MAGAism doesn't end well. So to see a whole party at this point get behind it, you know, for fun and profit, so to speak, is terrifying because it's hard to pay attention to all the places it's happening, right? 
it's hard to keep track of it. And people are going to wake up in a couple years and be like, how did that guy get elected? How did that guy get in office? You know, it's like Trump. People still don't even know half the stuff he did. I did a car rant this week explaining something that you can read about in a book. You can read about it in James Zirin's book about Trump, you know, when he built his casino with the mob concrete that Paul Castellano and Fat Tony Salerno sold him and the crooked Teamster head John, John Cody, right, who had a Teamster strike on the machines, the trucks that carry concrete. They were all on strike in the summer of 1982. And Trump had purchased all this concrete that was about to dry up unless those trucks started rolling. So what happened was John Cody had to give, he had a girlfriend, right, a mistress. He was married, but he had a mole or whatever, you know, mob, mob girlfriend. And he said, give my girlfriend a penthouse when you finish the tower and I'll, I'll let the trucks deliver the concrete. And that's what happened. She got a penthouse right two floors below where he lived, right, where Trump's own apartment was. And when she moved into that penthouse, she got a knock on her door three, three days later, and it was Trump guys. And they were like, we're here to put in the phone lines, right? And she's like, wait, what are you talking about, you know? And John Cody was like, don't let them in, you know? Don't, like, no way. So he was trying to, you know, bug the mob is my point, right? Trump was always collecting compromise. He was always sort of trafficking in secrets you know as i've said many times one of his big moves was getting somebody to do something that he shouldn't be doing with one of his young models you know or somebody he brought around and then blackmailing that guy hey i got pictures of you and you know this 17 year old eastern european girl who i kidnapped basically <laughs> you know and brought here thinking she was going to be a model and instead she's you know working my parties at the plaza and if you don't want your wife and kids to see those pictures or that video, you better give me that building permit or you better sign off on this loan or you better let my daughter, you know, into, into Chapin, you know, where she got kicked out for staying up and partying all night. That's Ivanka. And then she had to go to school in Connecticut, right? At Choate, Rosemary, right? Rosemary Hall, Choate. It's very, very, you know, uppity prep school in Connecticut and Ivanka was pissed she got sent there at 15 years old so her daddy gave her an SUV that was on call all the time to still bring her into the city clubbing right so all that stuff is favors you know and Trump traffics in favors and Trump has hidden the records about his life his whole life right you haven't seen Trump's high school transcripts because he can't read right for his whole life into adulthood they harassed the school, the military reform school that Trump was sent to after he attacked his teachers <laughs> in his Queens school, right, as an elementary school kid. He was such a bad seed. They sent him to a prep school, essentially, you know, reform school for rich kids in the Hudson Valley. It was up near West Point. Trump was such a psycho there. He tried to throw his roommate out a window. You know, he lied and said he was like a star baseball player that was going to get drafted by the major leagues. True story. You can look it up, right? And he couldn't read, right? So they had to hide his transcript. So they paid that school off forever, like in perpetuity, even built a new gym. And then the school finally went out of business or was going out of business. And uh, they appealed to Trump one last time to save his alma mater. And he was basically like, oh, sucks to be you. Everything's got to come to an end. And the school went out of business and, you know, that you never saw his medical records or his, his, his 
education records. His medical records are a completely other thing, as you know, and I've spoken about that. But, you know, Trump had lawyers on staff to continue hiding his secrets. That's what Michael Cohn did. He would write the scary letters to the institutions during this 2016 campaign to Fordham. You better not release his, his school records. Imagine running for president and not being proud of your academic record, right? You think that would be a prerequisite. For Obama, it was. Right? He was on the he was the head of the Harvard Law Review, right? Exemplary education on his own merit, on his own intelligence, not like Don, you know, Jr. who gets into pen because his dad writes a check, or Jared Kushner, whose father Charles Kushner, the ex-con, wrote a two and a half million dollar check to Harvard to get him in and then built a new lounge at NYU to get Jared into law school who, by the way, has a new book that comes out tomorrow, and we'll talk about that later. <laughs> the New York Times did a Hall of Fame review, saying he not only looks like a mannequin, he writes like one too, which is pure poetry. Thank you, New York Times. But um, it's that same thing. It's the theme of mediocrity, right? Let's protect mediocrity, right? That's what the GOP is about, you know? We're the mediocre white ones. We rule this place, right? That's You could see that in Lindsey Graham, who's in the news this week for defying, you know, the Georgia grand jury that wants him to testify. And he's like, I don't have to testify. I'm a rich white senator. You know, I'm in the party of power. We're not going to do it. And he just had, you know, an appeals judge at the 11th hour on Sunday said he doesn't have to testify right away. The fight's not over, but he's fighting it. You know, how does a senator not obey the laws of the land and show up when you're asked to show up, right? As good citizens, we show up for jury duty. We do what we're asked. A sitting senator, a guy who's in charge of making laws, is defying the law. Entitlement, right? When you saw Lindsey Graham at, you know, Brett Kavanaugh's confirmation get all like spittle-inflected and angry that they were questioning so what if he date-raped somebody? He's a kid. Boys will be boys. That was essentially what Graham was pissed at, is that a guy was getting called out for his drunken, misogynistic, predatory behavior decades earlier. Because boys will be boys, and you go through that stuff. But now he's taken his rightful place as a judge, and he shouldn't be impugned in any way or held accountable for his actions. That's the attitude of the GOP. That's what they're trying to protect, you know, an era of mediocrity because it's worked out well, right? It's worked out for hundreds of years in this country, you know, for white men that are pretty much less than, you know, achieving things based on the color of their skin and not the content of their character. And that's hard to hear. You know, I'm obviously a white guy, doesn't get whiter looking, you know. But, like, I don't want anything for free, and I don't want anything that I'm going to get that somebody else doesn't get a fair shake at. You know, true humanists, true patriots want everybody to be happy, want everybody to get a shot at a good life. You know, the fact that kids are going hungry in this school, in this country, you know, we just ended the, the free lunch program and free breakfast program for children in many states. Places like California kept it alive, but... You know, federally, it's not funded anymore. That's insane. You know, a country as rich as ours, how are we not feeding our children? How do you not want every child to go to sleep with a full belly and a safe home every night? How do you go to sleep knowing that that's the case? 
you know, because if you do and you think you get away with it, you don't get away with it. Your work isn't done. You can't enjoy that big mansion if you have a good heart and you know other people are going without. It's hard to sit around the table and eat lobster, you know? But as we're seeing, it's not so hard for a lot of people, right? It's becoming easier and easier because we've dehumanized our own humanity and the dehumanization has become a political, you know, asset to the GOP. They're thriving off of it because people are signing up for it and they're picking up their crumbs and being like, this is great. I like Trumpism. I like yelling at immigrants. I like buying a big stupid pickup truck and not paying attention to climate change. It makes me feel empowered. No, you know, it makes you stupid. It makes you less of a human being, you know? It makes you owe an amends to the rest of humanity because you're not using your time to help somebody else. You're part of the problem. But that has been defined as patriotism now. And it's married with fascism and resentment and xenophobia in a way it's become a very toxic, very effective brand, you know? And I'm not trying to like harp on people who have a lot, but if you have a lot and you're not, you know, doing for others, you're not finishing the equation, you know? You're not doing what's asked of you, you know, to, 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 to harken back to, a, you know, a John Kennedy or somebody, you know, it used to be that way. It used to be if you came from privilege, you had a responsibility to give back even more than others, right? Because you don't have to waste all that time that the rest of us do trying to set ourselves up in life. You know, you were born on third base. Do something about it. Do something good since you don't have to work through college and all these other things. You know, get an education that allows you to get out and pursue things that help other people instead of just consuming, right? But... You know, that's not what they're selling on the on the on the right anymore, and, and and it's horrible to see. You know, I'm recording. You can hear the thunder. I'm on Nantucket on vacation this week. That's why the background is different. If you're watching, you know, it's kind of like the playground of the one percenters, right? And I'm not harshing on anybody here. It's a beautiful place, but you see all these smiling, privileged people, and it's like nothing else is going wrong in the world. And I get it that people are on vacation, right? But there's a reason that all the GOP candidates come here to be feted and to raise money off of some hedge fund owner who's got a big mansion, right? And in the last couple of weeks, you've had Ron DeSantis, you've had Dr. Oz, you've had even Herschel Walker up here in Nantucket, you know, dancing for the donors, right? Dancing for the one percenters, the guys who can just write them a check and guarantee their success thanks to Mitch McConnell and Citizens United and unlimited funds in our elections, you know, and corporations as a people. You know, all these concepts that are basically designed to make sure that the playing field will not be equal. You know, they're, they're driven by greed. They're driven by dark money and forces that don't want to change their ways because it's so profitable. You know, nobody needs a super yacht. I'm looking at the boats here in Nantucket, and it's like, what are you thinking? You don't need something that big. It's a blight on the skyline, you know? You can still be rich and get a decent sailboat or a decent motorboat without getting something that's essentially a cruise ship, and you're using it just to transfer your own family around, you know, just to 
you know, pull into Nantucket and Palm Beach in the winter and feel like you're a baller with your eight-person crew on a, on a yacht. It's insane, right? But we don't even, like, bat an eye at that stuff anymore. It's not even seen as obscene, which it is. You know, any sane society would be like, what are you doing? You know, as I talk about all the time, there used to be like an old money kind of thing where you didn't want to flash it. You lived nice and you lived well, but you weren't trying to rub it in other people's faces. And now it becomes all about rubbing it in their faces. And that's what MAGA is, right? MAGA's like, here, we're going to let you guys rub it in their faces too. We're going to bring you in on this. That's what Trump was doing. He was making the people at his rallies feel like they were going to be billionaires, that they were a part of his gaudy, gold-encrusted wealth and the, you know, hooker wife with the fake titties and all this kind of stuff. Pardon me for being crass, but, you know, Melania was an escort. That's what she was in New York City. She wasn't a supermodel, you know what I mean? And there's no shame in sex workers. I'm not trying to shame her. I'm just saying that looked good to a lot of dudes standing in an Alabama arena cheering on the fat guy in a diaper, telling them they were better than the immigrants that were taking their jobs. And they weren't better, you know? In many cases, they were much worse because those immigrants were coming here and bettering their lives and working hard and raising children that they were trying to educate. And you're sitting there cheering on a fascist, you know, using too much fuel, spewing hate and being as unpatriotic as you could be, you know? helping a con man take over this country. And how did it culminate, right? The guy's been gone for a year and a half, and we're just now getting back stolen classified documents that his son-in-law, Jared Kushner, was brokering to foreign nations from day one. I guarantee you Kushner went in there on the first day, which is why the intelligence agencies did not want to give him clearance because they knew how much how underwater he was with triple fifth triple six fifth avenue the building he bought right before the crash in 2008 and lost a billion dollars out the box and now he owed a billion dollars in a loan that was about to come due and he wanted to work you know the united arab emirates and cutter you know cutter was his big backer that said they weren't going to back him again and he engineered a blockade with uae to shake down Cutter and get his financing, and he did. They used it through a cutout in Toronto, a hedge fund, but he got his money, right? So he was looking to fill his pockets from the beginning and cover his own ass. That's what Kushner did. Kushner and Ivanka, right? Ivanka, they were the long game ones. As I've said many times, Trump wants music to play when he walks in the room, he wants to get high, and he wants to hit on women. He wants you cheering for him because he's so empty and broken inside and full of shame because he knows he's dyslexic, which there's no shame in, but his father shamed him. So instead of teaching him to read, they just let him get away with it, right? He's an addict. Anybody who's ever been an addict like myself knows deep down you're living with a lot of guilt, you know, a lot of despair. You know you're living wrong. Trump's somebody who's like almost had to like you know, he, he's a psychopath. He's another level of that. But trust me, the dude deep down knows he's a piece of shit. You know, you, you can just see it in his face. Anybody who's been around him, he's not somebody who emanates real self-esteem. Real self-esteem is quiet, confident. You, need, you don't need 
to tell the other guy you're the best. Idiot posers do. That's why Trump trades in the wife every few years, because he thinks like, oh, they're going to think less of me if she looks old. So he trades her in for just some vapid, you know, idiot that he wants on his arm like a candy and then cheats on her all the time, you know? And uh, it's, it's appealing to people, you know? Those character defects have become assets on the right because so many people share them. How much easier is it, is it to just show up at a rally and see like-minded people slapping you on the back telling you you're the best and you're good Christians and God-fearing people? How much easier is that than doing some real work on yourself, you know, than trying to get yourself out of the mess that life has handed you. It's a lot easier, right? Just like it's easier to, you know, go through the drive-thru and, you know, get a burger and fries and a shake than it is to, you know, make a salad, right? It's easier to take the, the you know, take, take the corporate thing that's being offered you, the thing that's not good for you, right, that's going to make somebody else rich, but is sold to you in a way that's going to be empowering, right? That's what it's all about, you know, and that's what Trump's about. And what's dangerous is we've had enough time now that this thing is solidified, you know, they're really getting the engines tuned up on this. It's like a race, you know, like an endurance race and formula cars or something. They really, you know, they got a pit crew now, that knows how to like get that car optimized and back on the track with the same kind of stuff. And that's why they're carbon copying these candidates. That's why you're getting the Kerry Lakes and the Harriet Hagemans, you know, and the Doug Mastrianos and the Glenn Youngkins. You know, I saw a Virginia license plate here in Nantucket last night and it had Don't Tread on Me. And it had that flag, you know, with the snake, you know, that yellow flag. I forget what it's called. It's called the something flag, some stupid crap that the militias have now taken, right? That license plate isn't on there to honor patriotism. It's on there to say, I'm a right winger. I'm Virginia, you know? It's branded now. It's branded at the state gubernatorial level. And that's got to scare people because once these guys take over, once you have five Ron DeSantis's doing what he's doing, you're not going to recognize this place, and you're going to have to hope there's a lot of fighting people to turn it around, you know, because they're going to have all the guns, and they're going to have a lot of the land. If you look at an electoral map, it's always red, but for the coasts, right, and a couple cities in the middle, right? So that's going to be imposing when you have entire states, you know, sort of locking people down and attacking the press and attacking education as they're doing in Florida. You know, DeSantis is the litmus test. You know, you got to look at a guy who reacted to COVID by not listening to science because he knew political expediency, you know, would help him to deny it and go with the conspiracy theory. This is all bullshit. How do I tie it into MAGAism? He mastered it quickly and a lot of people in his state died and he saw it as collateral damage. That's just the price of doing business, right? The guy's job when he was a Navy JAG was to advise Navy SEAL teams in the Fallujah surge about what was within the Geneva Convention in terms of interrogating enemy combatants, okay? And he also worked at Gitmo. So you can imagine how that went down, 
right? You can imagine they probably did all kinds of things from waterboarding and beyond, right? Uh, for a war that was never needed to be fought in the first place, right? Iraq didn't have anything to do with 9-11. It was about oil, right? It was Dick Cheney and Halliburton KBR wanting a piece of those profits, you know, whose daughter is now kicked out, right? By the very same party that prosecuted the war on his behalf, that helped create the toxic masculinity, sheepdog patriotism BS that so many bearded bros have bought into in this country, right? The guy who, the architect of that, his own daughter, who herself was a homophobe, turned on her own sister who was a lesbian to get political power, you know, who doesn't have a deep moral compass herself. I know she's got a lot of fans, <laughs> you know, on the left, and I'm happy for her leadership on the January 6th House Select Committee. But, you know, if you sat down and had Sunday dinner with Liz Cheney, and you're a liberal, you probably wouldn't agree pretty quickly on a lot of key issues, right? So to see that they'll turn on their own, that there's no level of debasement beyond their reach. They don't care how low they go. They don't care how they look. You know, the New Yorker did a big piece on DeSantis that's excellent. And basically they said, you know, DeSantis doesn't give a fuck. Like, he doesn't care about his big donors. He doesn't care about his citizens. He cares about himself. Right? He doesn't care about his wife and his kids. He uses them like props. You know, when his wife was going through cancer last summer, he disappeared over the Christmas break and never told anybody where he was. You know, he's probably courting donors in Wyoming at some secret, you know, meetup in Eric Prince's farm or something, or ranch. You know, these guys are treating politics like a military operation now. You know, that's really what we're in. You know, we're in a soft war, a soft, cold war. You know, and it's happening in America. It's a soft civil war in many ways. And it's not so soft. You know, people are dying and getting hurt. You know, and the fact that the entire GOP has gotten behind Trump and are bending over backwards to find excuses as to why he stole those documents. You know, there's a guy named Mike somebody. They're all named Mike, aren't they? You know, the Mike idiot. I tweeted about him yesterday. I forget his name. It's not even worth mentioning. He's from Ohio. And he was like, Trump was just taking those documents because he was writing his memoir and he needed them for reference. No, Trump can't read those documents. Jared Kushner was taking those documents because MBS sent him a list and said what he needed, right? Trump is not reading documents on nuclear energy and vision, and, you know, and, and, and nuclear armaments. He's just taking what he's told to take to sell later. Right, but this Mike guy is willing to go on a Sunday morning talk show and make himself sound like an idiot to appease the boss, right? And they're not really doing it to appease Trump anymore. That's the other thing you need to grasp. They don't respect Trump. They know Trump's an idiot and a fool. You know, there's probably nobody who truly despises Trump more than the people who have to deal with him all the time. Because that's just the way he is. His kids hate him. You know, he's an odious man. He, he literally smells. His breath is god-awful because he eats fast food and he's got those wooden dentures and stuff. Like, it's a nasty experience being around that guy, right, on any level. His wives hate him, you know. It's just like nobody's ever liked him because he's a bad seed. But those guys respect the grift, right? 
So it's not so much that they worship him, it's that they see how easy it was. If that idiot can do it, then I can certainly do it, because he can't even read, right? He can't even concentrate for more than five minutes and look at the power level he's ascended to. You know, it's a year and a half after the guy attacked the Capitol after having one million people die, essentially, from his mismanagement of COVID, because he saw that as a political gain. And who did he turn it over to? Jared, once again, making my point, right? Trump wasn't going to get involved with the science. He said, Jared, you deal with this. And Jared was Googling COVID doctors to figure out the White House's response to it, and then brought in his best friend, from NYU to head it up. He and his best friend shared a, a dorm at NYU, you know? And uh, you can see my air quotes, because there's more to that story. Billionaire sons who own apartment buildings usually take their own apartments. They don't choose to live in a dorm when they're in graduate school. But Jared got to share a suite with his best buddy, and he brought that buddy down to the White House to form the COVID response, and then they figured out there wasn't any money in it, so they just gave up. They did a little bit of shaking down the states, you know, with PPE, right, protective equipment. Remember when, you know, that was the big thing, getting doctors and nurses the right kind of masks and gloves and stuff. And Jared was like, hey, you know, whatever. If you're not a blue state and you're not voting us, get to the back of the line. You're not voting for us. Get to the back of the line, right? That's what Jared did. He was shaking down the states. Massachusetts, when they had a you know, a, 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 a load of PPE stuff delivered, you know, it was flown in from China or something. They hired their own armed guards. They had state troopers and stuff escorting it to their distribution center because they were worried that the White House and DHS was going to seize it. That's a true story. You can look it up. That's amazing that individual states were protecting themselves from the federal government to keep the supplies they needed in their hospitals that were being overrun by a global pandemic that was killing thousands of people a day. They had to fight against their own government to protect nurses and doctors because an evil spawn named Jared Kushner was trying to make a buck off it. You know, that story in and of itself is a metaphor for the whole situation. And they applied that MO to all elements to foreign policy, to domestic policy. You know, that's what mobsters do. Where's my cut? Yeah, but what about my end? But I need you to do me a favor first, right? That's Trump's big line. You know, they bring people in that are easily corruptible, and they make sure that they get what they need out of the situation. And you still have these idiots, these Chad Wolfs, and these guys all, you know, toting the party line because they're in on it. They're all part of the same gang, so they're not gonna start telling the truth now. And none of them have told the truth. You know, Liz Cheney is the only one who stood up to Trump, and they made an example out of her, right? But they're not gonna win. You know, to shift here, it's so blatant and so extreme that ultimately, democracy will win. Love always wins. You know, peace always wins. The question is, how long and how low do we need to go to learn the lesson, right? And right now, we're going pretty low as a, as a nation because we're not effectively reaching the people that need to be reached. You know, it's no accident. They had another turning point thing this weekend, right? Marjorie Taylor Greene 
was headlining another thing, you know, Mike Lindell's big gathering, right? And they had the thing up in Pennsylvania that DeSantis spoke at, you know. So they're out there recruiting, you know. These rallies are recruitment centers, just like when there's a natural disaster now, the militias show up and they provide water and stuff and security for the towns that have a wildfire, and then they set up stands and recruit people to become white supremacists. That's not a joke. I'm not making that up. <laughs> you can look it up. It's happening in all these towns in California where people have, you know, wildfires go through. So they're very active, you know. Like, think of it like in the military when they used to send guys to high schools to try and, like, sign up the kids that were, you know, fallen below the line that weren't exactly going to go to college. And I was one of those kids. I mean, I had the hardcore press army recruiter. When I was in high school, he'd take us out and buy us beer and give us rides and stuff and become your buddy, trying to get you to sign on the dotted line and join the services. It was a scam that they sort of have illuminated in the decades since. I don't think they do it in the same way. But back in my day, they'd buy you cigarettes, beer, whatever, to get you to you know make every dumb promise in the world. And uh, that's sort of what's happening now, right? So they have their recruitment centers, right? The white supremacists are showing up in communities that are vulnerable, that have been ravaged, you know, by climate disasters and stuff, which is dangerous, right? Recruiting people at their, at their lowest moment where they might look at somebody who's given them water and food. They make pancakes. The famous one, like, serves pancakes in California, you know, they might be sympathetic to that cause, right? And get indoctrinated in that way of life. So you have that, you know, which is the recruitment center. And then you have these rallies, which is full on like, okay, you're next level. You know, it's like when you're, after you read Dianetics, now you go to the big, you know, thing where we all swim naked or whatever the hell, whatever the hell Tom Cruise and those guys do, you know, or the Mormons or whatever. But like, you know, that's the next level. When you get together in the big group and the, the flash pots go off and the smoke machine comes out and Kyle Rittenhouse walks out on the stage, like, now you're in it. Now you're at the political Woodstock 99 and you're getting a taste of what it's going to feel like to maraud with your friends, right? And that's where the adrenaline kicks in. That's when you go from individual to groupthink, right? And groupthink culminates in something like a January 6th, which in many ways was a dress rehearsal. But you saw clearly privileged, clearly middle-class white Americans attacking the Capitol, right? The most sacrosanct symbol of our democracy. They were attacking it. You know, they were walking in there with, you know, MAGA hats and destroying the place and trying to kill their own party's vice president you know, and the Speaker of the House, you know, a woman that had been demonized, you know, as somebody on the left, therefore less than human in their eyes, and they wanted to kill her, right? That's crazy, and that happened in four years, you know? So what happens if a guy like DeSantis comes to power, you know? And what happens if you have a half a dozen DeSantises in states around the country grooming their people, indoctrinating their people, right? Eviscerating public education. So people don't even know what to think because they're not educated. They don't know the true history. You know, they only know to hate and resent. They don't know that, you know, the African-American community has been systematically preyed upon and had the cards stacked against 
the entire time they've been in this country, right? They don't want people hearing that. They want people hearing, hey, whatever a white Christian tells you is right is right. Facts are our facts, you know? And that's dangerous because it's not going to take long to create an army that way, you know? Guy goes into high school 15 or 16, gets a few years of that, and comes out the other side of it in Florida. You're creating warriors, and not in a good sense. You're creating suicide bombers, right? That's how it works, you know, in the Middle East, in, in places of unrest. Those, those guys, the extremists, always pick, pick up, prey upon and pick on the kids that have less, you know, that haven't gotten a chance to be fully educated and humanized. And they say, hey, you know, strap this bomb on your chest and you'll live in infamy. That's what we're starting to see now, right? A dude went and attacked the FBI and was shot dead in a cornfield because he believed the BS that in a knee-jerk reaction the GOP started spewing after the FBI served a subpoena on Mar-a-Lago to take back documents that did not belong to Donald Trump that were part of our national security apparatus. And thank God Merrick Garland signed off on that affidavit and allowed the search to go through. Can you imagine if he didn't? You know, I know he's gotten a lot of criticism and I know I've been, you know, criticizing him a lot, like read the room, because I was waiting for something to happen, for this to happen, because it needed to happen. You needed to land a punch. And it's not an erroneous punch, it's self-defense right? But you needed to land something. You needed to show them there were going to be some consequences. Because Trump has never seen any consequences his entire life. Nobody's held him accountable because people don't want the hassle. You know, it's like Alan Weisselberg cheated on taxes for Trump for 40 years. He was the CFO. His job was to make sure they didn't pay their fair share to the government. That was his job, was to hide the money so they didn't pay taxes on the perks and the bonuses, you know, how they'd inflate the assets. Trump would say a pro, you know, a property was worth $280 million, you know, or something when it was worth $7 million, and then he'd switch it back when he was, you know, applying his taxes, right? So when he's taking a bank loan, bank loan, all of a sudden everything's worth a fortune. When he's paying his taxes, it's all depreciated, and he's taking a loss. Those are white-collar scams that lots of people do. That's how you get these big super yachts in Nantucket, right? I always tell people, like, you don't get that rich without hurting somebody. Even if you're a good person, you're not accumulating that much wealth without screwing over the next guy. And even if the next guy is paying your fair share, we need that money. Because we are in a country where kids are going hungry, where they're not getting school lunches. Lunch should be free. You know, breakfast should be free. That should just be a given. In public education, we can provide healthy food for children you know everybody should be ashamed that any child goes to sleep hungry in this country you know that's an issue that I've always dealt with because it's personal to me you know I've been food insecure in my life my friends were you know I saw Reagan come in and demonize everybody who was on welfare right that's what he ran on Reagan is the guy who came up with make America great again it was his campaign slogan in 1980 he picked on a woman in Detroit, an African-American woman, and he said, this woman has filed for you know, food stamps 80 times or something, using 80 different names. You know, he was, She's ripping you off. They're living off the government, living in style. 
and you're paying for it. And none of it was true, right? And people were living, you know, in bad neighborhoods that nobody, it's no picnic. Even if you're getting welfare, living in a, a bad neighborhood that the government has turned its back on, right? Nobody's doing that for fun. Nobody wants to be on public assistance. No one's ripping you off. And to make it a shameful, to make people feel shame over not having enough is a sin. And I felt the psychological impacts of that in my childhood because we were shamed. You know, Reagan was elected when I was 10 years old. Nine years old. He took office when I was 10. And I saw him come in and demonize my friends and my neighbors and myself. We were less than because we were poor, you know. And I was in that situation because my mom was in addiction and it was a you know single mom who had me at 19 years old my dad split young he was out of there by the time i was three or four she worked hard she worked as a waitress you know she worked at nasa at one point like putting data entry stuff you know back in those old computers that would fill up a room and you'd put punch cards in there but she figured out she could make more as a waitress to feed her kids so she gave up on that career path and waited tables and then she had her own issues, which she's fully out of now. I mentioned her last week. I didn't want to shock anybody. She was not like a bank robber with a gun or anything. You know, she, she handed a note to a teller and said, give me your money, because she was addicted to drugs. And addiction will make you do anything. And she was trying to keep it a secret and still keep it together and try to put food on the table, you know, and to feed her habit, you know. And, and she paid a price, as she should have. But she was a white woman. So she went to a place called Camp Cupcake, which is where Martha Stewart went, Alderson, West Virginia, you know? And I remember visiting my mom. I didn't think I'd digress onto this, but after she got arrested, I remember visiting her in the Baltimore City Jail. It was a federal, you know, federal jail, people on federal charges at Christmas, right before Christmas. And they had a little Christmas party for, for the inmates, the female inmates and their children. And they would give out little gifts, caps and, and gloves and stuff. And I remember seeing all these kids playing with their parents like it was like, not like it was normal, but like, you know, they were so happy to see their parent and, and have this little Christmas celebration in a jail. You know, most of these kids were African-American kids, you know. And I remember looking around and thinking like, these kids are getting like caught up into a system that many of them aren't going to stand a chance. You know, I knew in many ways I would get out of this situ situation because the rest of my family was, you know, had some money and like I had places to go. And my grandparents took me in, you know, in a matter of weeks, I'm living up in Westchester, you know, in a polo shirt and a nice house in the leafy suburbs. I don't think a lot of my friends and a lot of those other kids in the room got that circumstance because we were in the middle of Reaganism. And it was war on these kids. And the crack epidemic came a few years later. And I went back to my neighborhood. And all the kids that I ate cereal with and watched cartoons with, you know, and we wore our little Spider-Man pajamas with, had all fallen into the, you know, crack epidemic, you know, and dealing and guns. And those kids weren't growing cocaine, right? Somebody was bringing it into D.C., was bringing it into L.A., Right? And who was that? That was Reagan's boys in the CIA trying to fund an illegal war in Central America. Right? And the collateral damage in the 80s was young men of color because they saw them as expendable 
and they saw that they could just lock them up on the other end of it and then make money for the prison industry, right? And make the white voters happy because they could demonize somebody and show how they were law enforcement and making it better, right? That's what happened. That's the pattern. You should watch this movie called The Four, a documentary called The Four Kings, which is a documentary about the boxers. Sugar Ray Leonard, who was a local hero. He was from PG County. You know, when he was a champion, I was living in PG. Hyattsville, I was in. He's from Camp Springs, or not Camp Springs, somewhere right there, you know, Capitol Heights, I believe, right over the D.C. line, which is where I grew up. And uh, he was a local hero. So it was, it was Sugar Ray Leonard, Marvin Hagler, Roberto Duran, who is just a folk hero in many ways, <laughs> flawed as he is, incredible story, who talk about somebody who felt the hand of American imperialism. My man was from Panama, okay, where we ran all the drugs through Noriega, who was partnered with Bush to bring cocaine out of Colombia up into Central America and up into the Americas, right? And it had uh, Hitman Hearns was the fourth guy, right? But it shows these four boxers, you know, in their careers, but also about the Reaganomics of the time, you know, how the right reacted to Carter and, and, and sort of the economic insecurity of the late 70s and the energy crisis with just pure racism, with pure vitriol, vitriol with purely demonizing of people that were already getting screwed over. You know, they found a fresh way to demonize them and punish them. That's what Reagan was, and it was cheered on, and it was a scam. He was just in there to make his buddies rich, you know, and his, his stuff all went south. By 87, you know, 86, the economy was tanking. You know, Michael Milken and those guys were all making a fortune. Your corporate raiders, Wall Street made a lot of money until it crashed, right? But the rest of America, Reagan created the Rust Belt. He created homelessness because he allowed you know, the disinvestment in the American dream at the same time he was peddling the American dream in platitudes like it's morning in America and we're going to make America great again. You know, his whole spiel was we're going to bring it back to the 50s, but they weren't really going to do that. And the 50s weren't great for everybody, certainly not African Americans who are as much a part of this country and built this country as much as any founding father, if not more, okay? Because they're without the shame that the founding fathers should carry because those people owned other human beings. That's why their word is not some gospel. They were just dudes trying to get out of paying taxes <laughs> like every other white guy since, right? <laughs> Generalization, but you get my point, all right? So that's where we're at, man. Watch that documentary, The Four Kings. It's great. And watch the Woodstock 99 documentary if you haven't seen it, though it's very hard to watch. It'll make your blood boil. I'm still pissed off about that, you know, and I should play you guys the song I wrote about it someday. But um, it's starting to rain really hard, as you can hear. Nantucket, man. It rains here, man. We got a storm for the next couple of days, and thank God, because we need it. Back in the Hudson Valley, as I've said, the earth is cracked. It's so dry. It's been such a dry summer. My pond is almost like dried up and I got a lot of turtles and stuff in there I need to keep safe, not to mention my big bullfrogs. So anyway, I know it's really rainy. I don't want to keep talking if you guys have to listen to all this rain. I hope it's soothing. Maybe I should do some like ASMR. Isn't that what they call it, right? 
That's, that's meant to soothe you when you hear the fire that I'm spitting, right? And it's just my perspective, but I guess I'm trying to explain where my political thoughts came from, you know? Where, where I got the ideas I got is because I saw it. I didn't read it in a book. I saw what they were doing. I saw the same scam. I saw what Reagan, you know, what Reagan was telling these kids, you know? And I went from the people that were the enemy right living in a predominantly black neighborhood so the people that were enemy enemies to the right and they were getting picked on and that got free lunches i went from that circumstance to living in the hudson valley with a bunch of white kids many of which you know were were the sons and daughters of the people that had fled the cities that were the targets of reagan and that liked reagan and that were buying the bullshit you know and i saw the ignorance and how it would get repeated around the kitchen table at their homes and it would end up coming out of the mouths of these high school kids who clearly didn't know what they were talking about but would give you rants on why unions suck and all these other things that they were hearing their racist parents tell them right because they were being affected by this brainwashing right so I've seen this dynamic at play and I guess that's what this podcast is about the dynamics you know that's what you had to look at at Woodstock 99 that's what you have to look at with Trumpism. You know, there's formulas to things. That's how they work. You follow the recipe and you'll bake bread, right? You follow the recipe and you'll break a country, right? And that's what's happening here. And you have to look at these patterns because they've never been stronger and sort of more refined, though I know that's a tough word to use. In this instance, it's what I want to say. They're refined. They're getting good at this MAGAism. They're breaking it down to the core. There's, they're, they're trimming the fat off of it, as a comedian would say, right? They're just down to the pure hate, the pure anti-Semitism, the pure homophobia, the anti-trans stuff. That's why they just keep going back to the same racist stuff, because they'll beat these people over the head with it like a cudgel, and it'll work, and they know it, and we have to counter it. We have to show what the big picture looks like and how it's all a scam and you will not be better off. Just like nobody was better off after the Reagan years. And Clinton came and cleaned up the mess, you know, after ineffective, you know, H.W. Bush had his chance. And then what happened? It swung back to the dude's son, a mediocre white guy. You know, Bush's W seems like a nice guy now, but you couldn't have, until Trump, a more unqualified dude to be president right and he did two terms screwed it all up the economy crashed 2008 Barack Obama comes in cleans it up does two terms it's all great you know Trump comes in destroys it all again now Biden's picking it up again it's the same pattern we're cleaning up the messes that are created by a party that's appealing to people's racism instead of their better angels and giving them empty calories instead of governance and depleting the resources that you need. You need a bureaucracy, right? You need HUD. You need a Department of Education. You need legitimate law enforcement. You know, the fact that they're now all saying defund the IRS, defund the FBI, that's insanity. And that's what the GOP is campaigning on right not paying taxes not being held accountable because you're assumed to be innocent because you're white right why would you not pay taxes you know and we're already suffering 
it's a different subject but you already got like jeff bezos and amazon that's running trucks up and down the highways all day using american resources and infrastructure which is already crumbling for their own profit margin and then not paying their fair share it's insane right but it's the same formula that you've seen applied over and over again you know the one benefit of history is that it has a tendency to repeat itself and if you can notice the patterns you can change it because what you have to do is illuminate to people this is the gift this is the scam you're playing three card monte again you know you're playing a shell game and you think you're going to turn over that you know nut and there's going to be a penny there and you're going to win a bunch of money there's not it's going to be empty they're going to pick up their you know shells and walk walk away for eight years and then come back and try to trick you again it's the same thing it's just a dude on a corner cheating at cards that's the gop now you know all the flash all the pomp and circumstance it's all a scam they're scamming you and they're hoping that they can keep sort of you know cultivating and breeding a populace that'll continue to fall for it and until we get enough voices speaking out against it people will fall for it so you know change those hearts and minds where you can in your own life don't let people just say ah we're not going to talk about politics now's the time to talk about politics we're in an election year be an advocate for change look out for those kids that are going to sleep hungry tonight understand that they're just as much a part of america as you are understand the pure evil of somebody like greg abbott putting immigrants that have already been traveling for weeks on end on buses and sending them to new york city and letting them out in front of the port authority a city that already has a humanitarian crisis in terms of unhoused people right he was doing it to dc first now he's doing it to new york he's using human beings and families as pawns to make a political point to appeal to ignorant people that's beyond the pale that is not american that is not patriotism that is craven evil and we have to stop it we have to call it out we all need to get in this fight okay we got less than 90 days till november we're going to take this country back we're gonna do what we need to do to protect democracy and protect all of us all of us americans so we can work together all right so that's it episode 77 i know it's a rant that's kind of what the podcasts are these days. I'll tell you some cool music stories or something next time. But, uh, you know, that's where I'm at this morning. This podcast is just about me being honest with you guys and sharing my thoughts. Nothing more, nothing less. But I love you guys. I love the response. People seem to enjoy watching this and listening. And you have no idea how much I appreciate it. So enjoy the last week of summer. You know, I hope it's beautiful where you are. I hope you get a chance to get out and breathe some fresh air. Look at the flowers and the colors in the sky. I'm going to be riding a bike around Nantucket for the next week. So I will see you next time. But as again, again, I always appreciate you listening. Love you guys. Thanks. Peace.